Welcome to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. In this podcast, we go deep into mining news, hot topics, and live interviews with mining professionals and leading figures in the mining industry. Introducing your host, Rob Tyson, founder and director of Mining International and Mining International Executive, a leading global mining recruitment and headhunting agency. Hi, mining community. Welcome back to another episode of the Dig Deep, the mining podcast. And today's guest is Mikhail Steffes, who is the president and CEO of Bolivan, who are a metals company with a focus on sustainable development. Operating on a global scale, their roots are in Nordic and their core competencies lie within the field of exploration, mining, smeltering, metal recycling, and employ about 6,000 employees um, around the world uh, with a multi-billion dollar turnover. Mikhail um, has an engineering physics degree um, and has a wealth experience in corporate and executive management, leading or on the boards of many organizations throughout his career. Uh, Mikhail is going to talk to us about his uh, career, um, also about Bolivin, and also about the climate transition in the mining sector. Um, in essence, doing fossil-free mining, which I know Mikhail is very passionate about. So that's um, that's welcome, Mikhail, to the podcast. How are you doing, Mikhail? I'm doing fine, thanks. Thank you, and I appreciate your time uh, in uh, doing this uh, doing this podcast. Um, as I mentioned, you've got an extensive career, so I wondered if you can um, basically elaborate on, on your career um, so our audience knows a little bit more about yourself um, obviously, there may be things in certain things in media and publications, but I'm wondering if you can just really dig deep into into your career um, from maybe when you graduated to uh, present day. Well, I can I can do that, and I'll try to keep it brief. And I might even start before before graduation. Anyway, I I am from from Sweden. I'm from a relatively small town in northern Sweden. That's my background. Uh, I have both as a child, but also as a gotten older I moved around a lot so you should say that I lived at least in five places in Sweden and uh, in a half a dozen places outside of Sweden as well as I've been moving around so that's a little bit about me my background as you mentioned I, I went to university I studied uh, I studied physics and got a degree in engineering physics I then separately also actually studied Russian the Russian language and it's there's a little bit of a history around that you know in Sweden back in those days had a mandatory uh, military service. I did my military service in units that for different reasons learned to speak Russian. And I liked that. So I, I decided to go on and it comes into my career at a little bit of a later stage as well. Um, I also then after I graduated with my physics degree, I then have an MBA as well in, in the next step. So anyway, my career in one way is relatively simple. I um, I moved on directly from my studies, and after having had quite a lot of small jobs in the beginning, and parallel to to uh, to studying, I got my first real job working as a management consultant in McKinsey. Normally, when you get those kind of jobs, that's something that you do for a while, two or three years, so something good on your CV, and then you move on. For different reasons, I stayed there for 14 years. I moved around a lot. Uh, worked a lot in the what we call the basic material industries in public paper, in mining, in steel, uh, and certain these sectors around all kinds of topics. 
Uh, I also physically moved around. I worked in Germany for quite some time, and then I was moving on, and I, then I lived in, in Moscow and in Russia and worked with these topics with, with um, Russian companies around that. And then after 14 years, I decided it was time to kind of change career path on a more fundamental level, left consulting, uh, went into the more corporate world. I became the CFO of a Swedish pulp and pepper company called Sodra. Did that for about six years. Then I joined Bulliden 12 years back, uh, first in the capacity of CFO, and then in the capacity of of running the mines. As you know, we'll come into Bulliden in a while, but Bulliden's mines and smelters, I was running the mine mining division. And then since about five years, a bit less than five years, I've been running the whole company. So that's that's me and my my career in a nutshell. And I usually make a point of the fact that I'm still married to the to the woman who is the mother of my three children. We've been married for some 30 plus years. Uh, we actually met almost 40 years ago. She told me this morning, by the way, uh, just to remind me. Uh, so that's that's me, that's my background. But congratulations on your career and obviously your your marriage as well. So that, no, that's good to hear. Um, I want to even give us an, an overview of, of uh, Bolliden. Yeah, Bulin is a is a Swedish company in its history. It was founded ninety eight years ago. We'll celebrate a hundred years in in two years. It was founded as a gold company. That's the that's the background, but very quickly moved over towards um, base metals. Today is a it's a very broad base metals company in the sense that we are. Uh, working across a whole set of base metals. We're working with zinc, with copper, with nickel, lead. Uh, we still have a precious portfolio that we're working with, gold, silver. We have PGMs, we have cobalt, uh, and so on. Altogether, we, we uh, take out 18 elements out of the uh, periodic system uh, that we will send to the... Sell, sell in sometimes as finished metals, sometimes as as uh, different kind of semi products that go on to refineries that will do the final refining stage. We are in terms of metals, roughly fifty percent self sufficient from our own mining uh, into our smelting division. Uh, but as you know, in this industry, roughly 80% of the value added is in mining and 20% in smelting. So if you rather put this as a, from, a, from a capital point of view or from a, from a value point of view, we're roughly two-thirds mining and one-third smelting in terms of market cap or whatever you want to put in place. So that's who we are. Um, I usually get the question, what is Boolean and what kind of company is it? And I usually, you know, usually talk about sometimes about the Boolean dichotomy. And I think it might not be unique to, to Boolean, but we have a certain situations that I usually make a point of. Then one is a kind of small, large. To some extent, we're not a very big company. We have 10 operating units. Maybe that's small, you can argue. 10 operating units, 6,000 people, that's not so much. Uh, on the other hand, we are the largest base metal company in Europe. We have, you know, 10 billion US dollar plus market cap. We're in the Stockholm Stock Exchange, probably the company that invests the most across the whole board. So we're big and small at the same time. We are at the same time um, very global. We are sourcing our metals globally. We are competing on a global market, but we're very local where we operate and we operate in pretty remote places. 
And the third kind of dichotomy that we always talk around is the fact that to some extent we're extremely conservative. Safety is extremely important. And, you know, lots of things has to be tested many times for any change to happen. At the same time, as we're extremely conservative, we are cutting edge in terms of technology. We have some of the most productive minds in the world where we have been, you know, pushing really the boundaries of what, what can be done in terms of productivity. Uh, and we're also been very much spearheading, I would say, the sustainability work. And it's up to others to judge because there's no absolute scale. But I will argue that we might be the most sustainable metal producer in the world. Uh, but it's up for somebody else to challenge. At least we will be up among the top ones, I will say. So that's the company, base metals, mining and smelting, uh, 100-year history, you know, we're big and we're small, we're modern and we're, we're conservative. Uh, so you have all these things all together. Obviously, you mentioned as a company, a lot of your operations are remote. And obviously, in the mining industry, um, a lot of operations are in remote areas. And you seem to be the experts in that because of <clears throat> because of the locations that some of your operations are. What are, the, what are some of the major challenges that you have to overcome that you see other mining companies are not good as, at overcoming that, uh, that are basically that you can actually overcome basically because you're one of the leaders in that, in that space? Now, now, you broke up very shortly here, but I'll try to answer the question anyway, as I, as I think I thought I, I heard it. But, you know, being, being local and being remote, I think it's... it's um, it's an aspect of this industry always. We are, compared to other parts of the industry, lucky or we have created ourselves a situation where we do not oper operate fly-in, fly-out. We, uh, we have smaller settlements, small towns, small villages around all of our operations, and we have very little fly-in, fly-out in our operations. And that's something that's been done strategically over these 98 years to make sure that we want to have people living where they operate and to have good societies around. And I think that's also a key of being able to work on productivity that you actually have people that don't just come in and can come out. And also you have a very a relatively low turnover of people. Once you decided to, to move to some of our locations, then you tend to be pretty loyal to stay around there, even though of course we have some turnover of people as well. So I think that's been one of the way that we've been working with the challenge of having this remoteness, if that was the question you had. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Now that that and that makes sense. Um, obviously, a lot of mines are fly and fly out, and the residential and being local to to the mine site, I'd imagine that helps with any challenges that you are faced with being in such remote locations. So, yeah, no, that certainly makes sense. Yeah, and I can also add to that 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 this also comes over to management philosophy. We are operating a very decentralized organization. I don't think that's unique, uh, but but it's not true for everybody. And we are very adamant about the values of running a decentralized organization, which means that we have extremely small staff functions considering the size of the company. And we tend to have as much uh, of the, uh, you know, the resources needed for operations locally. So it's not just that the people that you need to have locally in the sense of operating people, also, development people, engineers, and so on. We try to get pushed as much as possible out towards the individual units. And that's also part of empowering 
the local management of really feeling that they have the resources to develop the assets the way that they should be developed. And that, I suppose, is also part of the kind of charm of working in a company like Bulidin. I know you're passionate about, um, obviously, climate transition and fossil-free mining. Um, what do you consider some of the greatest challenges when decarbonizing? Well, decarbonizing is is something that, of course, everybody needs to do. And, and just before going into that, of course, you need to make the point all the time that when you come to base metal, which is we are, they are so needed for everybody else in their decarbonization strategies because of the electrification, everything else that goes with decarbonization. So we are producing the metals, and that's part of even our vision to make sure that we do provide the metals for generations to come in terms of doing that in a climate-friendly way. Uh, now, of course, metals also have a CO2 footprint uh, when, they, when they are produced. And I will say that a couple of things in order to, to make this clear. Number one, lots of the CO2 that you are having in your life cycle doesn't really happen in the operation. The scope three, as it's called, is relatively big. You need to look at all the the CO2 that's uh, involved with things like uh, producing explosives, transporting, producing other chemicals for the smelting, and so on. So that's one thing to make sure that you get your arms around the whole value chain. Uh, and that's been a journey for us just to get our arms around to get the numbers. But then secondly, I mean, it's it's if it would be easy, it would have been done a long time ago. But I think that the path forward is relatively clear. You need to uh, get rid of your main CO2 sources for us. And I think for most other people, that's getting rid of diesel. And that means electrification in different ways or forms with transportation and everything else. Uh, and you need to get rid of, uh, what you say, you need to get rid of the reduction processes or finding alternative reduction agents in your reduction processes in the smelting business. Those are the kind of two main levers uh, that you need to work around and, and that we worked around. And some of that is not that easy and therefore it takes a little bit of time, but you need to work on it very hard and make sure that you push yourself going forward. I should maybe say the third lever is also to make sure that you have what is called scope three to make sure that you have uh, low CO2 footprint power that goes into your operations. Um, obviously moving, moving or following on, how far has the mining industry reached in terms of uh, decarbonizing um and what do you think the new standards or do you think some new standards will be developed i think that eventually we need to get to zero carbon mining i mean that that's that's the where we have to come and if you look at it from that perspective we haven't come that far yet we are still a very big diesel diesel user we are by the way a big cement user in many parts of underground mining, talking about the CO2 uh, scope three footprint again of cement. Uh, so there's there are many things that we need to work. Uh, as I said, quite a large part of this is what we call scope three, which is not directly in our own control, but we need to work very hard with our suppliers. Selecting suppliers is part of it, but also making sure that we work with the suppliers so that they can decarbonize their value chains effectively for us. And as I said, uh, you know, it has to come to zero at some stage. Uh, it will realistically, even if everybody pulls very hard, be some 20, 20 to 30 years out. But it's important that we don't sit around and think that everything is going to happen the last five years out of that 25-year period. We need to make sure that we work on what we can do already right now. 
Um, besides less emissions, how do you see decarbonisation uh, will affect the mining industry? Um, more investments in areas with obviously supply of green energy. There will be definitely more supply of green energy. That will be a, a key factor. I think it will be uh, lots of investments and, and changes going into the chemical industry, which is another area that is that we're using quite a lot of. And the chemical industry today, or at least the chemical industry that we're leaning on, is very much developed, uh, you know, dependent on natural gas for many of the processes that they do have. Uh, so that will be a different. And if you cut it in a different way, you can also say that, and I usually make this point, and it might not be true everywhere, but at least in the kind of our part of the world, if you go back 10, 10 years in time, uh, mining was a, a sunset industry. You know, it, it wasn't going to disappear over, over one day or two, but it was kind of heading, heading the wrong direction. It was also kind of perceived to be part of the problem. I think that we have turned it around now relatively well. I think that many people perceive us as being part of the solution, as opposed to part of the problem, uh, because of the need for our for our products, for everybody else, and the use that you have for our products, and also the fact that we're taking care of these uh, of these issues. And with that, you you kind of flipped everything around. Uh, we have a much more interest from young students who work in the mining industry today than we had 10 years ago. That's partially because we maybe we have become more attractive as such, but it's also coming back to these remote locations. Maybe people are not willing to invest their careers in something that might disappear in 10 years and you'll be living in a remote location and you might have to relocate and maybe retrain yourself in order to, to be relevant on the labor market. Uh, now I think many people are getting more and more comfortable with the fact that you know I can join the mining industry and I will be able to work there throughout a full career and I'll be very relevant in creating a good future for the universe uh, from that position. You've obviously had a long distinguished uh, career um, in the mining industry. What are some of the main benefits or even drawbacks of being a pioneer in this area? I don't know. I, I haven't ever really thought about it. I, I've even though I haven't been my whole career in mining, I've done other basic materials as well, but I've been around basic materials for, for 30 plus years. And I've done that because I enjoy it. Uh, it hasn't been because I was going to try to save the world or because I think it's been fascinating, fascinating industries to learn around. And, uh, you know, all kind of very challenging engineering issues to, to, to work around. And on top of that, strategic and financial issues to work around. I think that's been my key interest in why I'm interested in, in, in these industries and why I've been sticking around for all this time. And yes, you can argue that both the pop and paper industry, forest industry, and also the, the mining industry at times have been seen as sunset industries, not kind of immediate sunset, but things that would supposedly you're not supposed to do. You're only supposed to work with whatever, uh, you know, I, the IT or the new tech industry is going to solve everything for us. But I haven't really bothered about that. I mean, I, I just enjoy what I've done. Uh, maybe I'm the exception, but I, I've never really bothered too much about it. And now it's come and turning around. I think everybody, even in the kind of new cool tech industries, are now saying that, you know, without raw materials, there will not be a Tesla. It doesn't matter how, how excellent programmers you have to do all the kind of fancy stuff. You need raw materials; otherwise, you won't you won't get a car. How do you see the mining industry evolving over the sort of short term five to five to ten years? 
And what would you say the major challenges you see companies facing? Well, I think that there will be growth, especially in base metal mining. I think that there will be a contraction on other mining. I think you know, coal mining and, and other parts, of course, going the other way. But generally speaking, I think mining is going to see a, a boom. I think that there will be challenges on many different levels in order for this to happen. One thing is a kind of easy one. Is there enough exploration going around in the world to be able to kind of fill this growth? Um, is there enough suppliers around in order to be able to fill this potential growth? Is there enough people, talent around to fill this growth? Because frankly, we're not an industry that's used to kind of a step changing growth. We've been a kind of flattish industry as a whole, or maybe a little bit upwards, but it hasn't changed much in, in many years. So that will be, I think, a challenge. And if that works out fine, I think there'll be the next challenge because we will start recruiting people uh, so that the kind of new people will be relatively more compared to the old people than we used to. You know, this has been an industry where people work for a long time and newcomers have not really been able to influence cultures that much because they were relatively few. And uh, that might change in the future as well, where, where newcomers will be a lot and they might inf uh, affect the culture. I think that's also part of what's going to happen in the industry. Um, you mentioned earlier two years off 100 years of the company. Um, how, how, how do you see the future of Bolladen? Um, maybe not necessarily the next hundred years, but for the foreseeable future. <laughs> well, it, it looks good. Uh, it's interesting. You mentioned that we had a, a discussion the other day around what, what's going to be the main theme about our hundred year celebration. And to some extent you can, in a company like Bolladen that has had a very interesting industrial history. We haven't gone into that for now, but you know, the very interesting aspects of the industrial history here. We're not going to focus too much on the kind of 100-year history. We're going to focus on the next 100 years and how do you get eternal life as a mining company. And that's, um, I think that that's that's a challenge going forward. And I think that we are well-placed. We have uh, good operating units that are all relatively long duration and all relatively well-positioned on the cost curve. We have projects that means that we can fill the depletion uh, as we go forward. Uh, we might like to have even more projects, but we'll see over time if we can develop even more projects. But it feels relatively good. And of course, the next thing that we haven't maybe spoken so much around is the fact that we have all our assets in Europe and there is something else going across this whole industry right now or across the world, which is the kind of regionalization or localization of all supplies because of the geopolitical situation. And uh, uh, suddenly Europe is kind of realizing that you can't import all the raw materials you need. You need to have some kind of security of supply. And that of course plays right into our hands as we are, you know, as I said, we're the biggest base metal provider in Europe. So we're pretty well placed in order to fill that void that might be created going forward. What would you want to be known for in the mining industry in uh, years to come? Well, me personally, I don't really want to be known for anything. I mean, I, I have very small ego and I don't drive things according to my own kind of legacy. So, But if bullied and if you say you as, as the company, we would like to be known as the one who spearheaded the way into, uh, into the future regarding how to become, you know, the most, the most climate efficient miner uh, in the world and how to keep that position over time. Uh, so that's right. That's you know one of the areas, and 
And then also in a wider spectrum, also other sustainability topics. Now we've spoken a lot about the climate aspect, which is very important and maybe the most important one, but there are also other, other aspects that needs to be, be highlighted around this. I think that we, for example, have gotten metal emissions to water and to air to so low levels that they don't really affect anybody around us any longer. Another thing that is very important that I usually also have to point out many times is that uh, we are right now running at 14 years fatality free. And I think that's absolutely unique in this industry for any company of this size. Uh, I'm always afraid to talk about it because suddenly this streak will, a streak will end one day and we know it's going to end one day, but hopefully that's going to be in many, many years. And if it, anything, you know, if we can get this to remain for you know another 15 years or whatever, that, that would of course be great. But that's a very important part of our whole work as well. Yeah. Um, and concluding, um, I wonder if there's anything else you want to add. Our audience is mainly or predominantly um, people within the, within the actual mining industry. Um, so I just wondered if you if there was a, a sort of final message that you want to give the mining community around the world. Um, well, I think that I would say that number one, I think that uh, you've all probably picked this industry because you liked it, and uh, and I think that you're in an industry that's going to be growing over the next couple of years. So I think that you can be happy with the choice of of industry that you're in. I think that most of your organizations will either already be on the on a path to decarbonization and if not they will very quickly need to become and i think that you will all be be part of this this journey and you will also be part of a a stricter and more more uh, enforced uh, way of sustainability in other aspects as well that's going to be important for anything to be able to have this social license to operate but having said that, I think in the end of the day, the world is going to be very rejoiceful in getting the metals that you are providing for the world. So I think that, you know, congratulations to all of you that you're already here. Yeah, really appreciate your time, Mikhail. Um, if our audience, obviously our, our mining community, want to follow some of the, the lessons that Bulletin are implementing within their business, especially obviously around decarbonisation and climate change. Where's the best places they can follow, obviously, across social media? Well, you can always turn to our website, you know, bullyden.com, and from there you will find lots of interesting information around that. Um, if you want to learn more about the kind of European context, which is where we work, we have both uh, you know, our industrial organization on the European level, which is Euromines uh, on the mining side and Eurometo on the on the smelting side that we, uh, that you, they also have lots of useful information around these things. So those, I would say, will be the main, the main areas where you can find more information. Yeah, certainly. Uh, we'll include those in the show notes to accompany this, uh, accompany this podcast. So like I said, really appreciate your time. Thank you for your information. Um, it's certainly something that the audience can take away from and um, take take bits away from and hopefully implement and think about obviously the future of mining, which is obviously should be in everyone's um, radar moving forward. So um, thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Please share this across um, everyone in the mining community that you know across the world um, to get this message out. Um, it's such an important topic that Mikhail has uh, that has um, given us today. So please, uh, please keep sharing these episodes. 
And until next time, happy mining. Thank you for listening. Remember to reach out to Rob via the show notes and be sure to subscribe and leave a review. Until next time, happy mining, helping each other to improve the mining industry.